Welcome to the Faith Element Podcast for the February 11, 2024 session, focusing upon Psalm 50, Acceptable Sacrifice. I'm Daniel Glaze. I'm Nikki Hardiman. I'm Crystal Shepard. And I'm David Adams. Welcome, friends. David Cassidy, our fearless leader, (laughs) is away from our podcast again this week. If you are a regular listener, you you heard us say last week that he is a new grandfather and he is enjoying some grandfather time with a beautiful new grandbaby. So, David and Regina, we hope you all are enjoying some time with that beautiful grandchild. And we miss you and David should be back uh, real soon. But we've got we've got the regular crew here and we'll proceed in his stead. We've got a, a wonderful passage from Psalm 50 and it's Transfiguration Sunday, if I uh, remember my liturgical calendar, <laughs> which is the last Sunday before we begin the season of Lent, a season in which we are Uh, focusing uh, on introspection, maybe sacrifice. And so I want to ask you, as we've got a passage that we'll talk about sacrifice, what do you find most difficult to give up or sacrifice for God sometimes? Control. Really? Take a minute to think about it, Crystal. (laughs) Or the illusion of control, I should say. And it's something that I find is, has been a reoccurring theme in my life Yes, it's very difficult to just, as they say, let go and let God. It's just, I always want to put my hands on it. I always want to snatch it back. And it's interesting because I do find that a lot of clients that I have that same concern or issue that it's just hard to let go of our need to fix, manage, and control everything. (laughs) Isn't that what faith is about? Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) I was like, that is so true. I was going to say cussing. I don't. That's a good one. I'm not good at giving up cussing for God. I actually, though, have to say that's a cheat because I'm not really sure God cares about my cussing as much as other people think God cares about my cussing. But or as much as like my mama cares, thinks God cares about my cussing. (laughs) But control, that's real. Mm. That's it's so hard to give up. Or the illusion. You are right, Mm because. It is an illusion. I wonder if I have the same answer, Crystal. Maybe it's a variant of it, but, and this is not, it's not like I have some delusions of grandeur, but I sometimes I find it difficult to give up this notion that, like, it's all up to me. That, that kind of control, like, I can, if I will just work seven days a week, then the church will succeed. If I can go to every committee meeting, then we'll be healthy. You can see the delusions here, right? I mean, <laughs> but that kind of, I don't know, that kind of being able to work it into being or I don't know that it's that, that like it's all like I'm the last hope or something. That kind of delusion is, I don't know, it's bad. But yeah, I got it. See, I was going to go with, with cursing too because I have such a rich <laughs> vocabulary of profanity that I rarely get to fall back on. There's just times you can't say those words. But I was really, I think I, I'm more leaning towards where Daniel was, and that's ego. Mm. Because it is so easy for myself to feel offended by people are 
pushed back by people or just made to feel less than who I am by other people, that giving that up and giving people room to go ahead and do those things to me and not bite back and not take it personally and not run on and on and panic about, that's tough to do. But then again, what kind of faith are you displaying if you can't give that up? Who picked this question? That got real serious. <laughs> I was just so impressed with all the, the four wonderfully mature and healthy people that are headlining this podcast. <laughs> so, Can't get so, up control. Or... I was going to say, now that our listeners have so much faith in us, David, why don't you take it away and <laughs> in, introduce Psalm 50 to us, please? Sure. Is it okay if I use a colorful metaphor along the way? Please. Just no, nah, I don't really have one. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever been fed up? Truly fed up? I'm not talking about being mildly irritated by an annoying person, but those times when someone has pushed you to the very edge and you just can't take it anymore. I realize this is like asking someone whether or not they've had children, since almost everyone who has experienced the joys of raising a child can tell you that they all eventually take you to that place. But there's something about being totally fed up that is an essential part of the human experience. It seems that many people in these polarized times have long gone past being fed up and straight to being generally hateful and misanthropic. It seems like it has long been the case that long-suffering and patient people were the models to which we aspire. But lately, we tend to value that approach to life. Being constantly angry and hateful is becoming our default setting now. Instead of being ashamed of this, we've been overtaken by people who promote hate and intolerance as a way to gain power and influence. Now, if you're an old movie buff, you might remember how the character Howard Beale from the 1975 movie Network made movie history, or at least a lot of internet memes, by shouting out, I'm mad as hell, and I'm not going to take it anymore. It was such a departure from how normal people expressed themselves in those times. Now, it seems like our default setting. We are that much on edge. So, if you'll pardon me for saying this, it seems that we've forgotten that as God's children, we have sometimes driven God to this point. I like to think of God as infinitely patient and kind. But the Bible has some passages where God doesn't come across that way, and for good reason. Unfortunately, when you look closely at those passages, you can also see that we haven't learned much from such times. I saw a meme post yesterday that said, Don't sit at the tables that Jesus overturned. It stuck with me. Sometimes we do things that God should not have to tolerate. And even Jesus broke stuff when he saw how careless we could be with our practice of faith. I'm telling you all this because Psalm 50 is one of those spots in the Old Testament where God lays this all out for us. Those things we substitute for real faith are offensive. They get on God's nerves. And sometimes God tells us about it. You might be familiar with some of the other passages that reflect this one. Amos 5, for instance, contains things like, I hate, I despise your festivals. Take away the noise of your songs. Micah 6 asks what we're supposed to do to truly serve God. And things like offerings of fatted calves and oils just don't cut it. Even Stephen at his stoning pointed out to an increasingly angry mob 
that God doesn't work through buildings made by human hands, and that people need to change their hearts. You just don't have to search very hard in the scriptures to find that God is not satisfied by the things we do to feel religious instead of actually being faithful. Psalm 50 is at times about as blunt as it gets. To paraphrase, I'm not going to accept any of your offerings. Everything on earth is mine, so do I really need you to feed me? What right have you got to pronounce my law or claim your mind? You did all kinds of things against your fellow children of God, and since I didn't do anything about it, you thought I was just like you. But I've had enough, and I'm going to tear you apart. Does that sound like God being happy? We've gotten so complacent that we don't seem to realize that we owe God everything. We don't depend on God anymore, but instead act like a bunch of people sitting in a room shouting, We built this! as if God was never involved in helping us build our lives. While God looks for us to acknowledge our dependency on God's providence, we tend to recast God in our own image, as if God's a handy thing to have around sometimes, but not to be taken seriously. I struggle to see this psalm as being merely a prophetic warning to a nation that was about to be overthrown and taken into captivity back in the day. It sounds all too much like a stern warning to us, too. I often tell my church that they really cannot hear God's words till they hear them shared by someone who has suffered or is suffering. God's word is loudest when it is preached by oppressed people and dimmest when pronounced by those with privilege. If nothing else, there's a big difference between how we pray. People of privilege come to God with a shopping list of things they want. They aren't always bad things. But there are still prayers based on petitioning God to change something or to give something to someone. Oppressed people want these things too, but their prayers seem to be built on thanksgiving. This might just be my own observation, but it seems that oppressed people have every reason to want change. But they understand that what little they do have comes from God, and so they're grateful for it, even as they hope that God will act in the world in a redeeming way. If I'm reading Psalm 50 right, that's what God most wants from us. Those who bring thanksgiving as their sacrifice honor me. Perhaps it's time for us to stop getting on God's nerve by showing how religious we are, and instead start telling God that we are grateful and depend on God's grace. Who knows? Maybe it will make us all just a little bit less angry, too. Okay, all I'm going to say is boom, we're done. We don't need to go any further. Yes. <laughs> I can't say anything else. I, just, I really can't <laughs> at this point. Just, I don't think we're mic dropping anymore, but if we were, I would say drop it and <laughs> go off the stage. My kids are probably like smacking their heads like, mom, come on. But yeah, it's, whew. Can you say the line again that you said about the difference between people of privilege praying and people, oppressed people. Do you mind reading that again? Sure, I'll get back to it. <laughs> Sorry, I, I That's put right. you on the spot. Uh, I, just, right, I feel like I want to hear it again because it hit me really hard, and I, but I right. don't think I got to fully well, ingest Let what me you read it, and then I'll tell you why I put that there. Okay, that sounds good. Do that. People of privilege come to God with a shopping list of things they want. 
They aren't always bad things, but they're still prayers based on petitioning God to change something or to give something to someone. Oppressed people want these things too, but their prayers need to be built on thanksgiving. Might just be my own observation, but it seems that oppressed people have every reason to want change, but they understand that what little they do have comes from God, and they are grateful for it, even as they hope God will act in the world in a redeeming way. And I got to that. That's why I was saying it's more personal observation, because at, at the seminary where I teach, we have really opened ourselves up to an African-American denomination. 60% or more of the students in my class are Black. And we always start my class sessions with prayers. We always do. We talk about what's going on in the world and how we're feeling about things. And I would say almost to a person, whenever one of my students prays, especially coming from the Black community, they begin their prayers with thanksgiving. And I thank God for everything. Even when asking for something, it seems like they're thanking God in advance for what they know God will do, even if it's not what they expect. It's going to be, God's going to do something, and they're thanking God in advance for God living out mm. God's providence on people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I think that section of your intro was, you started off by saying something, and I'm going to misquote you, but God's words are heard differently when they are shared to us by suffering people. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. yes. And it doesn't mean that it, God's words have not changed. But we hear them differently when we are in community and in solidarity and in relationship yes. with people who are suffering. Yes. When we truly see people who are suffering, not just when it's not just the poor, when it's not just the sick or women, LGBTQ persons, right. blacks, it, it, whatever the other when it's people whom we know and love who are oppressed and afraid and sick and scared and dying, Mm -hmm. then we hear God's call to redemption and love and justice differently. And we hear that call, I think, as challenging to our own behavior and privilege in a different and in a real way. Yeah. Yeah, and I would say, too, that there's this feeling that you get that sometimes in churches, we want to, the old song, we have a message to tell to the nations and all this. We we have something we want to tell them about, something we want to address, something we want to reach to. We rarely talk about, we have some listening we need to do. Hmm. We have a hearing that we need to put on there. We, we're going to make an effort to hear what's being said, as opposed to telling the sick and the poor and, and folks what they should experience and how they should feel about it. That's, that's something I've often said is we love to share the gospel, but there's not a lot of sharing going on. Yeah. Sit down and listen. Right. When sharing good news is, in my opinion, here's who God has been for me. Now let me hear from you. Who has God been to you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what sharing is all about. I think for so long, we have put out the idea that the only right way to share our faith is to do it in a way that elicits a response that we're looking for from the other person. And 
I think because of that, we have really narrowed what it means to share about who God is in our lives. I, I think that we have, for so long, we have had such a narrow definition of what it is to share our faith that we have missed out on so many different ways that we could hear about how God works in our lives and in the lives of others. Say more about that, Nikki. We've made such a narrow... So I think that I came along, right? VBS was hopping. I went to all the youth camps. I was a white Christian in the 90s, white teenage Christian in the 90s. We are a very specific breed of people. And I learned very young that because I knew Jesus loved me, that I was supposed to make sure everybody else knew that Jesus loved them. And then that was supposed to elicit a response from them, which involved giving their life to God in some shape, form, or fashion. And so I really thought that sharing my faith meant converting someone else. Like I had not Mm -hmm, shared mm -hmm. correctly if I had not converted somebody. But the reality is when I have sat down with other friends who are Christians and we just talk about the way God has been working in our lives, like that's so different. And it's such a beautiful way to share about who we are, who God is, and how God has been in our lives. And and I think that counts to people who don't share the same faith. Does that make sense? That, yeah, like, absolutely. Okay. Because, I, yeah, what you talked about is this kind of sharing our faith that we grew up with was not sharing our faith at all. It was sharing a formula. Right. It was yes. a... a you are bad. Believe that Jesus died because you're bad. You go to yes. heaven. Yes. It was a ABC kind of thing. That's not the richness of our faith. Yeah. We didn't. Man, we cheated so many people out. <laughs> Rather than right. the kind of dynamic conversations about, let me tell you about the person that I just met when I was pumping gas. And I believe I saw Christ when I. Yeah. in this person. I mean, that, those are the kind of rich and incredible dynamic conversations that we should have as people of faith. Because mm-hmm. it was distilled down into a pamphlet. You know, like, mm. that's what our faith was, that richness and that beauty and that vastness that you're talking about was watered down into, oh, I'm going to get in trouble again, the four spiritual laws or the the Roman road or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I, saying that there's not value in knowing that information, but the way it was communicated to people, it, 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 it doesn't really set someone up for a life of faith or discipleship. It's just, it, it was, like you said, it was, I feel like it was so transactional and getting people adding to the numbers. And I remember this is one of my, it's one of my pet peeves because I was like Nikki. I, I went the first half of the 90s. I'm giving my age here was high school. Second half was college. And I was involved with various Christian organizations on campus. And one of which who will remain nameless. I went on a summer missionary trip and I went to Santa Cruz, California 
talk about culture shock for this little Kentucky girl. <laughs> Even being in theater, this was culture shock for this Kentucky girl. And it was very interesting because there was a big push for us to share the pamphlet. And I found myself one day with my little partner. We went out on the beach to do beach ministry and we were going to convert <laughs> people for Christ. And I, I was very uncomfortable with that. I didn't feel like that was authentic. And so we ditched the pamphlet and we walked up to these two girls who were giggling on the beach and we sat down next to them and unbeknownst to us, they were smoking pot <laughs> and they had this beautiful, rich, although probably drug induced conversation with us. But let me say it was one of the most refreshing moments of that entire mm -hmm. summer to be real and have real conversation. And they asked us why we were there and we shared why we were there. And we asked them what they were doing there and they shared about their life. And it did they come to some like big, amazing conclusion about God in that conversation? Probably not. But did they share some of their life with us? Yes. And we shared some of our lives mm -hmm. with them. And I think that's what we're talking about. I think that's what, it, what it's about. It's not about checking a box. It's about having a relationship with other people and learning from other people and learning from their faith and their walks and their journeys. You reminded me of a scene from the movie Saved where they want to interview <laughs> so you laugh. But that's they a want, great movie. That is a great movie. Mandy Moore, I think, is yes, in yes, it. Yes, yes. Yeah. Great but, movie. But again, in the scene of the movie, they're trying to help somebody with their life and get straight down. He says, I don't know if I can because I don't have my equipment. And, you know, and they have to go get that thing before they can share their faith with somebody. But beyond that, because we're getting back to the whole conversation about this being the Sunday before Lent takes place. There's this question that's answered in this particular passage of what offering are you really making to God? Mm -hmm. And they give you a real contrast here. One offering you could be making to God is I'm willing to go ahead and, you know, buy the CDs and read the book and dress up in the right clothes and, and put a sticker on my car and do all those kind of things to show I'm a Christian versus coming to depend upon God and being grateful for what God has given you. You know, and you yeah. clearly, which of these two things God wants by the time right. you can read this psalm? So, David, as you mentioned, the Lent will begin this Wednesday, Ash Wednesday. Some of us will make decisions about things we'll give up during Lent to concentrate on introspection and concentrate on our faith, whether it be chocolate or alcohol or cussing or whatever. <laughs> but I'd like to conclude today with a suggestion of a sacrifice mentioned in the last line of this psalm. This is verse 23. Those who bring thanksgiving as their sacrifice honor me. To those who go the right way, I will show the salvation of God. Thank you all for this incredible conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Learn more about our Faith Element Bible study curriculum at faithelement.net. Faith Element is a service of Faith Lab.